Hola, yo soy Amanda y vengo del de Salvador, Centroamérica, y vivo en Alemania. En este momento estoy hablando español y ustedes escuchan The Fluent Show. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Hello everyone, my name is Kirsten Cable and I'm here to talk to you about learning languages, loving languages, all that good stuff, anything and everything interesting as we say from this crazy world of languages. And today, if you notice I sound a bit different, let me let me get real with you. We're having a chilled out episode today. I am not where I normally record. I'm on the other side of my home office where I moved the laptop yesterday to take my Welsh lesson and today I just haven't found the energy, haven't found the vibe over there in the normal desk to move it back. So instead I just whipped out the old microphone and this is actually my mobile recording setup with a table microphone. I'm really excited sometimes to try out a little bit of different tech and improve and I will obviously have a listen through to make sure that I sound very comprehensible, very understandable. And yeah, you gotta make your own phone. You know, we're in lockdown here. So today we're having a chilled out episode. I'm sitting in an armchair. I hope you are comfortable. I hope you grab a cuppa and we're going to answer listener questions this is my first ever mailbag episode i've selected four questions from fluent show listeners thank you guys so much and i'm going to tell you more about them but before that before we answer questions about expat bubbles and dual language readers and the good old space repetition systems i want to tell you about yabla The Fluent Show is supported by Yabla. That means they're our sponsor. Woohoo! Yabla is language immersion through engaging videos for Spanish, English, Italian, French, German and Chinese language learners. They have authentic content in by native speakers and it's all video content. You get a full transcript and they've got this incredible customized, playable, do it your own way, put things in a loop, slow them down, speed them up. Look at the subtitles in double languages. They've got such a cool playback engine where you can really use the videos as learning tools. You get super accurate subtitles, which is not what you always get on YouTube. And you just can have a great learning experience with Yabla. Now, you've heard me talk about Yabla before and something I've done recently to help you get the most and get a sense really of what's behind the what's behind the gates of Yabla is I have made you an instructional video, which is my guided tour, sort of five minutes, 10 minutes of showing you what it looks like inside Yabla and what all of this stuff looks like in practice and how it all works and how I use it to increase my listening comprehension, how I've been using it in Chinese for a year. And it's made a difference and I'm going to use it with my next language on the list as well. <laughs> so that's Yabla. And you can get that video. I hope they've got it all set up by the time that I release this episode. You can get that video and get a free trial of 
all of full Yabla access for two weeks at yabla, Y-A-B-L-A dot com slash fluent show. That is Y-A-B-L-A dot com slash fluent show. Thank you so much, as always, to Yabla for supporting the show. Beep, beep. Now, before I dig into the mailbag, I know I keep saying before I dig into the mailbag, but I've got cool stuff for you today. I wanted to just tell you about something really fun that I noticed recently. When I was researching our Words of the Year episode, I visited the dictionary website of Collins, one of the UK dictionary companies. And Collins has got this blog, really fun blog, which publishes on its website which words have recently been suggested so people can come in and suggest new words that they think should be in the dictionary and it's kind of hilarious and it's kind of profound and it's people users from around the world i guess from mostly the uk suggesting all these kinds of words i've got a few examples here for you so you can consider whether you would like these words added to the dictionary number one this is suggested in january by user skinny whipped Brocco flower, a hybrid of broccoli and cauliflower, brassica oleracea, with a lime green head. Brocco flower, is that a word you'd like in a dictionary? Maybe not, maybe yes, but what about this one? What about hypsnosis? <laughs> hypsnosis, submitted by WordNerd on the 27th of January, and... Hypsnosis is a dangerous, trance-like state induced while driving a vehicle through a snowfall as a result of the visual repetition of snow against the windshield. So if you found yourself drowsy driving through snow, that may have been you falling into a state of hypsnosis. <laughs> and finally, the last suggestion I want to share with you is well-graduated. So that's well-graduated. And that means someone who has graduated from the right schools, <laughs> right, obviously, in, um, what do you call them? Speech marks, in speech marks. And this has been submitted by user hyphen man. So if you want to have a little stroll through the world of words that may make it in the dictionary, but certainly have been invented recently head over to collins and have a look around this website i'm going to pop it in the show notes which you can find at fluent.show slash one no fluent.show slash 204 because that's the episode number 204 my latest word by the way that i recently learned is zoomer zoomer which doesn't mean a person who uses the zoom on their camera apparently it means a Gen Z person, so somebody who is a member of Gen Z, the generation after millennials. Apparently, you're called Zoomers now. Is this true? Have I got that right? <laughs> you can always get in touch with me and let me know. The easiest way is to do it on Twitter, where I am at The Fluent Show. You can also say hi on Instagram at K-E-R-S-T-I-N underscore fluent, or you can send an email to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk. That's enough intro, that's enough waffle, let's get to the mailbag. I've got four listener questions, which you can also submit at any point. You can send a question to be 
podcast discovered answered on the show and one of the reasons i'm doing the mailbag episodes is because we got to whip through them a little bit quicker a lot of these that i have here came in in 2019 so to all of my question askers thank you so much for the questions and thank you so much for your patience and to all of you don't be too put off do send me a question particularly if you're a patron of the fluent show you get some priority i'll answer your questions first if i spot them Now, remember, you can also send an intro to The Fluent Show, like you heard at the start of the show. So lots and lots of ways to get involved. Question one is from Naomi. By the way, Naomi is a patron of The Fluent Show. So if you enjoy this podcast and you want to be as cool as Naomi and you want to show your support through... Um, a micro sponsorship <laughs> any amount absolutely any amount is free you can go below the suggested amounts that is absolutely fine uh, it's two pound a month if you want to submit support the fluent show you can join the patreon for the fluent show at patreon.com slash fluent show that's very easy to find here is naomi's question Kirsten, can you go over the powers and pitfalls of using spaced repetition? I find it really good for some things, quickly taking in vocab, but I find it less good for grammar, where I really want to see the whole pattern laid out. And I also don't find that it's so brilliant for long-term retention as people that is so brilliant for long-term retention as people seem to say. What are your recommendations for when to use spaced repetition and when not? Ah, this is a good one. And I really thought about this because since this question came in, I have obviously, I've made a vocab course. <laughs> so I've done a lot of thinking and I've put a lot of knowledge together about vocab and about memory. So I'm going to pop that in the show notes. And there's a few interesting fluent shows about vocab specifically. But I've also recently thought about grammar and the different way that we learn grammar. Now let's start at the beginning. Spaced repetition usually refers to algorithm-powered flashcard systems. That's what most people mean when they say that. So these kind of apps or computer websites, software that prompts the user to recall information and prompts them to remember. The idea being that repeated exposure to those kind of, those kind of facts and words will get them into your long-term memory. Now, personally, I rarely use any SRS software because I don't really love learning with computers. But obviously, the way that I do my vocab, it automatically creates SRS. Because in my opinion, what spaced repetition is, what, what is spaced repetition if not real life? You learn a word, you remember a word, then you might not encounter it for a while and then you get prompted again. You may have forgotten it by then. You might remember it again. It's going to, you know, it's going to drop down. It's going to come back up. And in fact, the exposure to natural language content automatically also gives you a selection of the most important words and the most frequent words. So we kind of, in my personal opinion, don't need generated frequency lists and SRFs software just in order to recreate something that real life natural language contact does for us already, which is to help us learn the most frequent words. I also don't do, like I said, any grammar work with SRS systems with flashcards. And I believe that it's not as productive for learning grammar as it is for learning vocab because of number one, the space restrictions that most flashcards have got on them. 
So you just don't have enough space to write the complexity of grammar. And then there is also the complexity of the grammar itself and the level of the information that you can take in in those seconds that you see the flashcard. Like there's certain SRS systems, like I'm not calling Anki, I don't think Anki does this, but if you if you don't know what I mean by SRS systems, a software like Anki, basically. There is certain systems that will put the flashcard in front of you and then judge your recall based on how quickly you can find the right answer. Now, with grammatical points, you have such a complex piece of information there and it doesn't actually serve you to just whiz through it as quickly as you can. You may want to puzzle, you may want to consider it a little bit more. And I think, Naomi, that's what you're getting at when you're saying you want to see the whole pattern laid out. It's exactly that. An SRS flashcard system, I don't think is is right for learning grammar. However, here is a thing that people do do it's called chunking it can help you overcome some of these issues and get you in the habit of learning patterns so essentially what it means is you're not studying grammar as in these are the rules and you know here here is how you should apply them you don't study grammar tables but instead you study distinct discrete chunks <laughs> of language so for example a sentence or an expression that always works like that so if you're a german learner you want to learn something like wir sind am strand ich stehe an der bar and am strand and an der bar for those of you listening they actually use the same preposition an but an behaves differently it always wants a specific case and then it behaves differently based on whether you've got a masculine word or a feminine word. And you could learn all of that or you could just go am Strand. Oh, yeah, that's the masculine one. That's how it looks. An der Bar. That's the feminine one. That's how it looks. So to study a pattern is is actually really beneficial when you are studying grammar because the gra the pattern can be applied to lots and lots of things that you want to study and you want to say in the future. It's not as complex and not as demanding as studying a whole grammatical rule. It's not as, let's say, shallow as, um, as studying a word of vocab, but instead you're studying something that will help you and will give you kind of a blueprint for what you want to say in the future. I think Memrise, the software, does it quite well in some of its courses. Um, I'm not personally an Anki nut at all. It's just not my thing. So I don't know what's out there for that kind of thing. But you may want to search the internet for chunking with Anki. <laughs> this is an extremely language learning world uh, focused search, but you might it might bring something up. Um, and when memorizing patterns and rules and things like tables, if I do need to memorize them, I try not to because I find that exposure sorts all that out for me. But the things that I really want to memorize so that I feel more comforted, I feel more comfortable, I will memorize using mnemonics. So that's a slightly different technique. My personal view is that app-based and computer-based SRS has got a limited benefit for how you're actually using the language in, co in conversation which so many of us want. And you actually get more benefits from exposure to this sort of natural language. So anything that you can understand. Hat tip to Krushen once again, that comprehensible input thing, not just Krushen, lots of linguists. But it does work. So it's essentially that. And from applying your grammatical points, your grammar knowledge for, through writing. I think writing is 
gold for learning grammar, from drills all the way to longer pieces of writing. Now, if you want a further resource of that, Naomi, I think you might be on this already, but have a look at my course, Crack the Grammar Code, which goes much further into why I believe learning grammar without memorization can be more effective and I think should be taught much, much more, more effective for the goals most learners want to achieve for fast communication and why effective memorization is not the same as effective learning. So that's crack the grammar code and listeners, you'll find that in the show notes. Now, let's take a little sip of water and then I'm going to move on to my question two. Question two comes from Hannah. Hello, Hannah. And here is what Hannah was asking. I have been living in France on and off for mostly on for the last five years. However, I still can't speak very well. Only the basics to get around. I live in an expat bubble. My work is in English. My husband is British. So I have inadvertently created an English language bubble in France. What I struggle with now mostly in my learning is shame and embarrassment that I am this bad after this many years, both to locals and people elsewhere who expect me to be fluent. It feels extra hard to make so many mistakes as well when I feel like I've already failed by not learning more in the past years. Anyways, I'm wondering if you know anyone who has dealt with the shame and embarrassment. I'm struggling to get past it and it seems to be a mental block. Any tips would be much appreciated. I love this question because it's all about how our thoughts and not our methods or our brain capacity or whatever can hold us back from succeeding in a language, <laughs> you know, language learning. It's not just all in your head. It's also, it's in your whole beings and your head can get in a way in ways that you, you didn't expect, you know, because it puts words to feelings such as shame and embarrassment. So Hannah, first of all, I want to just say congratulations to you for recognizing that there is something you really want to address. That is the most important thing. You know, some people feel this consistent shame and some people don't. And something I've observed is that actually in a country where the majority of the population looks like you and is economically like you, it's easier for people to recognize that they're in an expat bubble and that there is something that they're not connecting with. But not everybody does this. I have met expats who never want to leave the expat bubble and they even treat the local population with arrogance and a sense of superiority. And it may even be a, a further issue where we've got an echo of colonialism, racism is involved. You know, it, it it's tricky. It's tricky. And I think especially for English native speakers, the way that you're addressing this is a valid and reasonable and respectful way. So no matter where you're living as the expats, I think sometimes we put more value on the local language as we, as in this case, you're doing with French. And that is probably the better way to do it because just looking down on people and feeling like you shouldn't when you live in their country, that is not okay. So this was just sort of a, a maybe a ranty point. Now, Let's address something that you said in your in your message to me. You said there's the locals who you feel might be judging you and people elsewhere expect me to be fluent. And again, to, for a certain extent, you I can tell that you're feeling judged and you're feeling, you know, like people have thoughts on where you should be and how you should be. 
But are you... Is, is that really true? Are there any positive interactions that you have had that may show you the opposite? Is there a way that you could prove the opposite to be the case? So people are impressed. People do like it that you're practicing. People do like it that you're showing an interest and that you are learning. Are you reading people's minds a little bit thinking, oh gosh, they must be thinking I'm an idiot when they haven't actually said to you, you are an idiot. And further than that, if, if somebody local said to you, you're an idiot for not learning French, I don't think you'd go, I don't think you'd go that far near them again, because that's rude and that's disrespectful. So you don't need to talk to yourself in a way that other people wouldn't talk to yourself and you wouldn't tolerate other people talking to you that way. Allow yourself to take yourself at face value. And what I mean by that is no matter if you've lived in France for five years, 10 years, 200 years, <laughs> it's, it's okay. It is okay. You are not a bad person because you haven't learned the local language yet. Where you are at is fine. And the thing that you can't do is go three or four years back into the past and just start learning French then so that you're good now. <laughs> so there's no point in feeling bad about it because there's nothing that you can do. And actually, it's, it's okay. It's fine. I'm sure you have had many other things that were also important that you were working through. You have had cultural acclimatization. You've had a new job to get used to. There's many, many things happening. And your environment hasn't pushed French on you at every opportunity. So that sense of prioritization that must have happened at some point in you internally, that made sense at the time. You made good decisions for yourself. So allow yourself, again, to take yourself sort of at face value and say, okay, well, this is where we're at. Put all that away and say, this is fine. I don't, I can't fix past me. I can't fix Hannah from three years ago who, who didn't sign up for a French class. I can look at what I want to change going forward. And I think that's a more productive, helpful, positive way that you can feel like you're not stuck. Because the sense I got from your message is that, you know, with the shame, you do feel stuck. You feel like, well, you know, the the mistake's been made and you just can't get out of it now. And I've certainly felt that way about many things something really that just happened to me last week made me feel that way made me feel like I am doomed and you know I guess from that point of view me and you both <laughs> we're not stuck <laughs> this is a deep episode now on a practical note I also wanted to highlight that it's actually not uncommon for language skills to only develop in country and only develop as far as you need them to develop for what you truly need to get by. This is There's been some research in this in terms of immersion and language learning and how far we learn and fossilized mistakes. And I read some interesting stuff about it in Keith Johnson's book about teaching and learning languages. So I'll pop that in the show notes if you want to read more academic-y type stuff about it. But just to say, you're not alone. This happens frequently and it's been happening to people for, for years. It's just a fact of life that if you don't have external pushes to learn a language, then it has to come from the inside and you can't always make the inside desire appear. But it doesn't matter though, because you have it now. So here are some tips for what you want to do maybe going forward. Try this. First of all, do what you need to do 
maybe journaling, maybe signing up for a class, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> maybe telling somebody how you feel. Do what you need to do to free yourself from this notion of who you could have been or should have been. That Hannah lives in a different universe. That Hannah lives in a parallel universe, but she she's not actually here. She's having a great time, but she isn't you. So let's take it forward with you, who you are. And this is, I'm certainly not psychologically qualified, maybe one day, but I, to go full on CBT, there's something that my my own counselor used to say to me, which is when a thought keeps going around your head and it's making you feel bad, ask yourself, is this true? Is this a fact and is this helpful and you're only allowed to keep it if it is a yes to all three of those things? So the embarrassment you're feeling, that's real, but you can't know what everybody else expects you to be like by now. You have full control over what comes next though, so you can move forward. Now, one tip I would have for you language-wise and process-wise is to acknowledge that you are starting from a low level and maybe by low, we can just mean lower than you wish you were. It doesn't matter. Just be be honest and be real about your level and look for a learning environment that treats you like a learner. I think there is a, I think there is a tendency when we move into a country for us to expect that the move somehow makes you, puts you in this like, on off category of either you're fluent and advanced or you haven't really learned any yet and there's not so much space for that gray area but in reality you're totally in the gray area you're totally living in that I'm not really fluent in French yet but I'm also not completely a blank slate state and you've got this advantage of your environment prompting you with much French which used to make you feel bad but once you start learning a bit it might make you feel awesome because it's just so handy so don't treat yourself as somebody who should be knowing this or that already so you have to go to a b2 course now or whatever just look at your level start from the level where you're at and I would say sign up for a course or take a tutor or do something that makes you feel like a learner that really makes you feel like you're in this process rather than pushing yourself to, I don't know, understand novels that you don't understand and then feeling bad about it. So if the level is a little bit low, if the level isn't 100% perfect, it's absolutely fine. Just get into learner mode. That's what matters right now. And in the show notes, I've popped some resources for you as well on my For French Learners page. And I particularly would recommend maybe if your level is low and you're struggling with the basics the French Uncovered course because that's a good one for false beginners and it's very comprehensive and covers all the core skills that is from I Will Teach You a Language and it's a sister course to the German one that I made and I'd also recommend you check out Géraldine from Commune Française so she's going to be on that page as well it's called For French Learners and that's because Géraldine does a lot of work with expats in France. Bonne chance, Hannah. <laughs> On to the third question. Uh, my third question is, 
I love your show. I found it very useful, inspirational. Thank you, thank you. I am a native English speaker and I've been learning Spanish for years, but I've been wanting to get into other languages. Have you or do you recommend trying to learn a new language in the secondary language? For example, for me, Spanish to French or Italian or even German. Do I recommend that? Do I not recommend that? This is... One of the most common questions, I think, that I get from people who want to learn several languages, and we've discussed it in various versions on the podcast, but I wanted to kind of bring it out again, particularly with this angle on learning a new language through a language that you already know well. So, for example, in this case, if you've got a good Spanish level, is it recommended to learn German through your Spanish or something like that? And there are certain advantages. They are, number one, sometimes you'll get better materials. For example, Lindsay, my co-host, has talked about learning Guarani from Spanish. And she found it difficult to get good Guarani resources. But when you switch, say, your Duolingo language to Spanish, ta-da, a Guarani course appears. And I also found that I'm learning Welsh through the medium of English because it'd be much harder than... It'd be really hard to learn Welsh through the medium of German. So sometimes that's what happens. Uh, this also happens in Africa with some African languages being more accessible through the medium of French, South American ones from Spanish and so on. Now, for you, that particular aspect doesn't sound like it would be an issue because you're you're interested in Spanish, French, Italian, German sort of mainstream languages where you get lots of variety of materials already. Now, what is the other advantage? It would boost your second language along with your third. And I think that's why most people want to do it. Now, if you're learning the third language anyway, you might as well help the second one along. Plus, this gives you a fascinating new perspective on the second one, both linguistically and culturally, especially if you're not using materials where it's just a translation or a Google Translate even, you know, a website, oh, I've switched my origin language to Spanish. That doesn't give you a cultural impact in terms of Spanish. But if you buy materials that are available in Spanish-speaking countries and teach French, you may find different ways of looking at things that you haven't considered before. Now, are there any cons? There is sort of efficiency argument that some people bring about how it might slow down your first language or something like that. I I haven't really observed that and I've never read anything researchy that would tell you that that is a thing. Not that this is a hugely researched topic, it's quite niche. Um, it definitely makes your progress in your third language slower, unless you are really good in your second one. But ultimately, um, I wanted to bring this up again. And in, in the show notes, I will put episode 159. And then we've, Lindsay and I have also done an episode where we just looked at all these different rules and recommendations for learning more than one language at the same time. And what we find and what I have often found is the tips out there are contradictory. They're, most of them are not particularly founded in more than an anecdotal experience so that's what worked for the person who did it and yeah I don't know one person says this one person says that one person says you mustn't one person says you can you must only learn this way and ultimately I think just throw all that advice somewhere else this is your choice and it's not the way the only one way that a new language must be added I think sometimes 
there is pressure on language learners because of this idea that this is a more efficient way of learning. But that's only true in limited ways because multitasking is only possible in very limited ways. And in fact, it depends on your personal goals. So you have to decide for yourself first, where do you want to get to in, Sp in Spanish? Where do you want to get to in French or in German? So if you want to make fast, thorough progress in French, you may find that English as a source language is going to be much, much more helpful. But if you want to maintain as much Spanish immersion as possible and get better at it while you're picking up a third language, you might absolutely love this learning through the medium of Spanish, this laddering approach. The key is, question number one, what do you enjoy? Does the idea of learning through that language make you curious and interested? Then do it. Or does it make you stressed out and feel anxious that you might be failing at everything? Then do not do it. Does it sound fun or does it sound like you're adding pressure? Where do you need to be? Where do you want to be? And what do you want for your Italian or German or French? And if you can answer those questions, then I think that's going to help you a lot more. And if you answered those questions to me, say in a coaching session or a conversation, then I would answer, I would be able to tell you if I recommend doing this. Um, otherwise... I would say recommend, I recommend trying it. Yes, I recommend giving it a go, but I don't think it's necessarily the best possible way for everybody. Now, question number four and the last question I'm covering in this mailbag episode, the mailbag is emptying right in front of me, is from Lauren. Hello, Lauren. I am, and that's what she says, I'm a new subscriber to your website. Right now, I'm learning both Spanish and German. I do have a question. I have a book that has short stories in two languages of English and German. I'm using it to practice my German reading skills, but I don't know how to use it. What's the best way to use this book to help me read in German? Uh, listeners or Lauren, um, with questions like this, it might be quite helpful to send me a link to the book so that I know exactly what you mean. Um, but I'm going to assume that what you're talking about is a parallel reader where you have the same story, the same content printed on your left, let's say in English and then on your right in German or the other way around. I have tried these and in all honesty, I don't think I finished even the first one I picked up because I didn't make friends with it that easily. I found the translations distracting, but to be honest, I found the, the it was French-English and I think I found the French stories not that exciting anyway. And it was more to do with the language pair and me being not, not I wasn't ready for the level of effort. Um, so I wanted some easy breezy French and I was faced with too much thinking. So it may not, it may not have been to do with the parallel reader format. It may have been just that it's not the right level of literature for me. Now, What conclusions can we draw from that? I have a few points about parallel language readers. The first one is something that I think is an advantage that you don't get spoon fed every single word individually as you do when you're learning 
when you're reading and then you underline and then you look up the vocab or you've got, you know, a few definitions at the bottom. Instead, you're figuring out how a sentence works. You're figuring out how the language translates. And this can help you figure out which word is which. And it's great for idioms and anything where you do more figuring out instead of being told something is a higher level of learning and aids your memory and aids your understanding and it just benefits you down the line. The downside is that every now and then you may assume that a word means something that it doesn't <laughs> because you don't actually know the words as such. You just see a translation. Point number two, uh, something that I think is really good about this is that it makes literature more accessible to readers who don't quite have the levels for literature yet. When you're fatigued from, from reading French, you also don't have to completely put the book away. You can just switch languages and read the English for a little bit. Whether that makes you learn the language better, I don't know. But what it does do is it gives you access to interesting, let's call it content, interesting literature. It gives you access to something that you might not otherwise have access to. Something I also really love about this is when you're reading a parallel reader, you actually don't have to dig out the dictionary ever because all the words you need are right there printed. But you have to do a bit of searching. You have to do a bit of linking. So it's not entirely, like I said, it's not spoon feeding. You, it just makes it faster to progress because you don't have to dig out a whole separate book or phone to look up the things that you don't understand. It might also make you feel more comfortable skim reading. And it stops you completely reading a page and thinking, uh, <laughs> I don't know, a character's gone off a cliff and fallen over and died when that's not actually what happened. Sometimes I have experienced students of mine and they read some texts in German and came out with something that they thought they understood it, but they clearly hadn't. So it stops you from anything of that. It protects you from that. My view with parallel reader is, is that they work best when you are at the higher level, where you do want immersive stories. And if you are really interested in actually reading those stories. So how would I, I was thinking, how would I ask you to use this book if I was your German tutor? And uh, here's what I think I might do, Lauren, is I would ask you to read the German with the English side completely covered up at first. See how much you figure out from the German. Don't look at the English. Highlight, maybe with a pen, pencil, highlight the parts that you don't understand at all. And then I would ask you, what did you just read on that page? Or what did you read in that chapter? And then after you've maybe summarized it. Uh, if you don't have a tutor, maybe you can summarize it in writing. Maybe you can do a few bullet points. Then read the English page or the English chapter to double check your comprehension. And then I would ask you to check the highlighted sections and to check anywhere where you think your, your understanding completely broke down. So if there's anything where you think, oh, I didn't get that at all, like what... Double check those, go back to those and then see if you want to add any of it to your vocab notebook for future reviews, maybe to your flashcards or to your grammar notes. And that is how I think you get an effective way of using a book like that to help you read in German with a view to 
like learning to improving your German for you know and and adding new things to a future kind of way um yeah so definitely read the German first and don't try and read the German and the English at the same time because I think that'll make you crazy And I wanted to give a shout out here and something interesting, mention something interesting, which is interlinear books. So if you're interested in different ways that these kind of books can be laid out, interlinear are doing a super interesting thing where they will, you, they've got Kindle books. I don't think it's printed, but you can get digital books and they will give you the text in a target language. Say you've got a Swedish, a book in Swedish or Latvian they've got some cool language selections you're reading it in your target language and underneath directly underneath every single word there is the literal translation so it's very different to a parallel reader it's not a translation of that you know pays massive attention to meaning it's basically like reading a word reading a book with the dictionary right there but it's not a translation and I really like that I've never studied any of the languages that I've seen from them but I've always really wanted to do it so have a look at interlinear books I'll pop those in the show notes as well Now, listeners, that's it from my first ever mailbag episode I hope you enjoyed it and I certainly did this was fun from my armchair corner here so don't forget that you can get a new episode of this podcast next week by subscribing wherever you listen and do leave a review or rating for the fluent show they make a huge difference not just for other people who look at all the different podcasts and wonder which ones are good and i want them to read that the fluent show is good <laughs> but they also make a difference to me because when they come in and they're nice they brighten my day so if you've got something nice to say to me Do say it and <laughs> say it in a Fluent Show review. As ever, you can send me an email, hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk and you can find all of the show notes for this episode at fluent.show slash 204. Don't forget that you can support the show. This is entirely voluntary, but if you want to get involved, you can support the Fluent Show on Patreon by becoming a mini sponsor i don't know what to call it but basically by making a pledge and saying you will support the show with two pounds a month or five dollars a month or whatever and you can join the patreon four hour show at patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash fluent show so loads of things for you to do now check out the show notes they're all going to be in one place and i wish you a lovely week next week we're off to western and central asia